Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Value of Australian exports on the rise, 4% increase to $2.86 billion in 2018. Coke giant Amarim acquires 50% stake in Vinaloc. Heat wave across Europe sees record temperatures. And as ever, our Wine of the Week. And this week for Wind Up Weekly, we're in Seattle in Washington. Special edition. And Matthew carried the heavy microphones all the way from California, so we're very grateful. That was no problem, Katie. So Seattle is a great food and wine city, and we have spent a few days here enjoying the, um, the restaurants and the cafes and the whole environment of Seattle. How have you found it, Katie? Well, yes, we've been doing quite a lot of imbibing. We've been eating and drinking our way through... Um, luckily, we're still standing. And what was your highlight, Katie? Well, it has to be the Tavern Law, I think. And also, uh, it's kind of sister bar, uh, which is upstairs, sort of a speakeasy style called Needle and Thread. You can make a reservation, but you can also get up there by uh, picking up the phone. You enter the bar, pick up the phone, talk to the hostess at, uh, at the second floor, and if there's room, then they'll allow you up. So we had a very nice cocktail down below, and then we're invited up to do a very interesting experience. It's catered, tailored to each customer. Um, there are no cocktails on the menu, uh, but they just have a little conversation with you and ask you what you like, what kind of spirit, what kind of flavors, spices, and then they make a, a tailored cocktail to you. Yeah, and the ones we had were fantastic, and yours in particular is very good because you wanted sherry in the cocktail, and the barman was extremely excited to be able to work with sherry to provide the perfect cocktail for you. Mm, it was delightful. Yeah. So always remember, cocktails can contain wine as well. Australian wine exports rose 4% to 2.86 billion Australian dollars in 2018, with the average price of a litre the highest since 2009. In contrast, the volume of Australian wine exported fell by 6% to 89 million cases, the rise in value but decline in volume follows efforts by the Australian wine industry to focus on premium rather than inexpensive wines. The average price for a litre of wine rose 10% to $3.58 and continues five years of rising prices. Wine Australia's CEO, Andreas Clark, promoted the figures by commenting that the strong growth in average value is positive for the wine sector and the broader economy as it lifts returns for wine businesses, and flows through to regional economies through higher grape prices. The importance of China to the Australian industry was made clear. The 7% increase in value to $1.2 billion accounted for 42% of all the country's exports, and Australia is now the most imported wine by value into the fast-developing Chinese market. The USA is Australia's second biggest market, followed by the UK, although there was a decline of 3% to $373 million. Australia remains the number one wine in the Brexit-afflicted country. The positive news on the value of Australia's exports came at the same time that the 2019 Vintage Report was released. Despite fears that yields could be down by 10 or even as much as 20%, there was only a small decrease of 1%. 
Black grapes actually showed a slight increase of 2%, but yields for white grapes fell sharply, Chardonnay by as much as 12%. Given the importance of red wine to Australia's wine industry, it was a relief that the demand can continue to be met. So I actually attended the International Book, Wine, and Spirits show this last week, and Australia came up uh, quite a few times. And with the Ciotti report um, on the global production, it was very interesting because we saw a comparison between 2017 and 2018 in terms of grape prices and wine prices globally. And it looked like Australia was doing really well and largely because of their, uh, with their relationship with China. So Matthew, what are your opinions about Australia wine? Well, I think the figures that have been released show how important China is to Australia. And of course, lots of other countries are really targeting China as an emerging market. And what's really important is that getting into China and doing so selling premium wine rather than inexpensive wine is really important because then you really establish yourself as a premium exporter rather than just a basic bulk importer. So do you think their progress in China is going to continue to grow? Well, it's been rising year by year, so it's definitely um, growing without any problem and I think it will continue to grow because China's such an important market and it's but what's really fascinating is that how does that divert Australia's interests away from other countries are they just going to focus on China rather than other markets in Europe or the US we'll find out this week Portuguese cork giant Amarim purchased a 50% stake in Vinalock the glass closure Amarim made a deal with Preciosa, the leading Czech glass firm, who will retain the other 50% of holdings. Vinalock generates sales of 16 million euros annually and employs 170 people. In comparison, Amarim has an annual revenue of 760 million euros. Vinalock hopes to benefit globally from Amarim's investment and expertise. Meanwhile, Amarim's CEO and chairman, Antonio Amarim, commented, Cork and glass are two key components in the history of wine and spirits, and this deal brings that historical partnership to an entirely new level. The prospects of everything that it will now be possible to do in terms of innovative, convenient, yet sustainable premium packaging are truly exciting. So a bit controversial, isn't it, that the premium, well, top cork producer in the world is now investing in glass closures? I know that you know, Amarim has done a lot of work to promote the importance of cork and all of the work that they've done to ensure that cork taint isn't, uh, isn't an issue. And I think they've made great strides doing that. But I've also never seen them have very positive attitudes towards screw caps. So why do you think that they're okay with glass? It's a very interesting question. And I was also quite surprised by this news. It seems like they're kind of not hedging their bets, but they're just backing other options. And glass is very different from screw cap. They use the keyword sustainable, and maybe they feel that glass is more sustainable than um, cork or even screw cap. The other reason I was surprised is that glass closures are quite rare. You see them in Austria, but outside um, Austria, other winemaking regions don't really use them that often. But maybe Amarim feels that they, there is a room for expansion, a room for growth for these types of closures particularly for younger wines. Or do you think maybe this is kind of their way to get ahead of their competitors and make sure that cork remains supreme? (laughs) 
So Europe saw another huge heat wave this week across the continent, which saw record or close to record breaking, breaking temperatures. Champagne reaching 42 degrees C and Bordeaux 43 degrees C. So in Bordeaux, that record temperature eclipsed the 1892 vintage. Apart from that year, all of Bordeaux's highest temperatures have been in the last 20 years. Although sunburnt grapes were reported in Champagne, what effect these temperatures will have on this year's harvest depends how the rest of the year develops. But it is clear that these highs are now a common trend. We've touched on this topic uh, quite a bit in the last few weeks, and it's evident that climate change is an issue. And with Bordeaux, we saw that they decided to introduce a few other uh, grape varieties to accommodate uh, warmer temperatures. So really changing the regulation in order to kind of move towards the future with these uh, kind of hot trends. So Champagne, though, is is a... new player in this game and I think that it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them to make changes, introduce new grape varieties because they are so steeped in tradition as Bordeaux is, but this is really going to change the whole style of Champagne as they've built their business off of uh, a very specific style of wine. So what do you think about that, Matthew? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in Champagne. And also quite worrying as well, because we're all used to a style of champagne. Although champagne, like Bordeaux as well, has been very adaptable over the the centuries as the wine has changed. But champagne is going to get fuller and richer, and also drier as well. And there's less sweetness in champagne now, now that the acidity isn't as high. And I think that's going to be a continuing trend. So what we know as champagne has been evolving over centuries, and that's going to continue. But it could be to the point now that um, champagne is a bit too fruity for what we know, and that we look to regions like England, which are going to supplant champagne. Well, that'll make your fellow countrymen very happy, won't it? Yeah, but they'll have no markets to export to, because they'll have no trade agreements. So let's see what happens there. Hashtag Brexit. And now for our wine of the week. Bentio Ferrara Vigna Sicogna Greco de Tufo 2018. Italian is not my second language. Yes, it's Vigna Cicogna. That's not my second language either, Mm -hmm. so we're both probably Mm. murdering it. I think you did better. (laughs) So this is an absolutely fantastic Greco de Tufo. So good. So Greco is the grape. High altitude, 500 meters above sea level. And this is in southern Italy, where you have volcanic soils, which in the warm conditions just make growing conditions difficult. And so you have this real uh, balance between acidity and full fruit flavours. And you wouldn't really expect this such acidity to come from such a warm place, right? But because of that altitude, um, you really get that freshness. And this is a... A pretty full-bodied white wine, but the acidity keeps it so fresh that I just can't get enough of it. And this is uh, the producer's top Greco di Tufo. It's from a really small vineyard, just one and a half hectares, from vines which are 15 to 60 60 years old. And that just gives that extra concentration. They've really kind of worked with these vines and know what quality they're producing. And this just shows that Italian white wine can be fantastic with that real intense flavour depth of concentration, but that really fresh acidity without any oak. It's all coming from the fruit. And how much does it cost? 
It's $35, so it's a little bit pricey, mm. but it's really worth it because it really delivers. And it's really fun to say, Greco di Tufo. Greco di Tufo. So that's it for this week's Wind Up. Thank you for listening. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gold. And we'll catch you next week. See you next time.